Chapter Thirteen of the Story of Garfield by William G. Rutherford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by William Tomko. The Story of Garfield by William G. Rutherford. Chapter Thirteen Finding Friends. The Young Janitor at Hiram Institute. Personal Appearance at This Time. Teaching and Preaching. The Tailor of Troy. The Beginning of the Civil War. James Garfield attended the Geauga Seminary three years in succession. During his second and third vacations, he acted as master in some of the log schools in his native county. Then, at the age of twenty, he went from teaching school to sweeping the college floor at Hiram Institute. Here, besides gaining a considerable step in his education, Garfield began to exercise his gifts as a speaker the debating society of his college found in him its most fluent disputant and the college became immensely proud of the promising youth whose reputation as a ready and effective speaker was spreading far and wide in two ways he found outlet and exercise for the more generous instincts of his nature in preaching the gospel and in denouncing slavery even as early as this, the great struggle that was fated to bathe his nation in blood and fire was booming near, and the nobler among the young men of the country were unconsciously preparing to play their great parts in the awful Civil War. On entering Hiram Institute, Garfield was too poor to pay the ordinary fees. He had applied, therefore, for the post of janitor, and his duties were to sweep the rooms and ring the bell he held this office for one year and during the whole of that time it was said that never once did his bell ring behind the time from the humble position of janitor he was promoted at the end of the session to the more honorable one of assistant tutor it seemed as if his experience was to be a continual example of the possibility and even the advantage in some respects to a healthy lad of combining great success in study with great industry in manual labor his pay as a teacher was little more than nominal, and it was still necessary that he should work to live. Therefore, he engaged his mornings and evenings, as at Geauga, to a local carpenter, and thus supported himself. Such perseverance as this, of course, attracted the attention of both his fellow students and his professors. By the former, he was voted a brick. By the latter, he was mentally designated for a future professor and principal of the institute while in the minds of both young men and old there was a feeling slowly shaping itself into a prophecy that such ability and courage and character could have but one end and that garfield was destined to become president of the united states when he entered the geauga seminary it was probably with no expectation of proceeding farther on the road of learning than the limited resources of that little country college could carry him his success there had sent him on to the hiram institute and now it was a matter of course that he should go to a university and take his degree but once more the money difficulty faced him and once more the devotion of one of the best brothers in the world opened the way thomas was doing fairly well as a farmer he had saved a little money and this he offered as a loan to his brother James accepted the loan gladly, and, to secure his generous brother against loss, in case of his own death, he insured his life for one hundred pounds. Garfield had acquired none of the outward graces of fashionable young men when he entered upon his career at Williams University. He was tall, big-limbed, and rather lanky. 
his garments were of the homeliest manufacture, and his speech was somewhat broad and provincial. In mental stature, however, in scholarship and reading and judgment, he was a man every inch of him. His fine face and magnificent head and sparkling eyes gave promise of rare powers, and once more, and with perfect ease, he took his place in the front rank of his fellow students. Here, as at each stage in his eventful life, young Garfield proved that every person must decide for himself the amount of respect that is really due to him from his companions. No one could have entered college with a more homely appearance than Garfield. His rustic manners, and still more rustic dress, invited criticism among the smart young men of his college. Yet, because he was by nature a gentleman, he was treated from the first as such, by both teachers and students alike. His vacations, as before, were spent in teaching, and his Sabbaths in preaching. In this latter office he acquitted himself so well that it became quite an accepted opinion that he was to become a minister. This was one mark of the high estimation in which he was held, but there were others besides. The position of teacher in a high school, at the handsome salary of two hundred and fifty pounds, was offered him at this time. The offer, however, was declined, for the reason that it would prevent him taking his degree, and thus interfere with his plans in life. His ambition was a very noble one. He wished, he said, to take a degree, to win, if possible, a name for scholarship, and then to go back to the modest salary and the limited sphere of the Hiram Institute, and thus help the humble college which had done so much for him. Another illustration of the good name he had earned was shown in a smaller but still very practical way. His brother Thomas's resources had unfortunately given out, and James was in urgent need of money to buy a suit of clothes. Careless as he was about his personal appearance, the state of his wardrobe had become a serious anxiety to him. One day, a tailor in Troy sent for him, took his measure, and fitted him out, saying, Go on with your education, and when you have some money, for which you have no other use, pay me. This was a little matter in itself, but of great interest as showing the opinion which his neighbors had formed of the young man. It was during his residence at Williams that the country was thrown into excitement by Preston Brooks's attack upon Charles Sumner. Sumner had taken a prominent part in the growing desire of the northern states of America for the abolition of slavery. He was a senator of the United States and a politician and orator of great influence. One day, as he sat writing at his desk in the Senate House, two men came up to him. One of these, a senator and a slaveholder from South Carolina, of the name of Brooks, was armed with a heavy stick. This ruffian attacked Sumner from behind, felled him with a blow, and then beat him as he lay upon the floor, leaving him almost dead. For this grievous offense, a small fine was imposed upon Brooks, and the amount was promptly paid by his admiring constituents. The bully then resigned his seat, and was re-elected without opposition by the South as its spokesman leader and lawmaker. The news of this murderous attack spread like a flame through the land. In every state in the South it found a ready response in the sullen passions of the slave owners, whose hatred for the abolitionists it exactly expressed. Throughout the North it raised a nobler sentiment, and called forth a resolve that the system which placed millions of human beings under the absolute power of such men as this Brooks must be swept away 
in both north and south that blow in the senate house at washington fell like a spark among the stubble it set the nation on fire among others who denounced the shameful deed was young garfield the students of his university called a public meeting to protest against the crime and garfield was the principal speaker his address more than surprised his companions all the passionate vehemence of his mighty heart was awakened by this outrage and all the slumbering hatred which he had nursed since boyhood against the abomination of slavery sprang to his lips as his hot words swept over the audience his fellow-students sat amazed great as had been their belief in his powers they had hardly expected this and they heard enough that night to convince them that one of the mighty men of the earth was rising up amongst them and they went away from the meeting whispering we have heard great things today end of chapter thirteen recording by william tomcoe